praise you. It's all about you, Father. Amen. Good morning. You can be seated. Isn't it good to know that we have a way maker, yes. a promise keeper? In the middle of your darkness, he is there. When you can't see the way forward, when you're unsure, he's already there. That's who he is. And we have a chance to worship him this morning. In worship and song, worship and giving. If you brought your tithes and offering, you can do that online. You can, we have boxes at the back. There's a kiosk out in the, in the lobby. Uh, you're welcome to give. Your, your gifts go to fund the ministry. Not just keep the lights on and repair the air conditioner that's not working in the office right now. Um, but it's, it's to change lives. We had, uh, Gabriel, how many of you were on Backpack? 11, 11 young guys, a couple of adult leaders were in Zion National Park seeing God's creation, backpacking through God's creation last week with Pastor Jeff. Amazing time of ministry. Your gifts enable that to happen. And so we want to encourage you even during the summertime when life is crazy, when your schedules are off, to, go, to continue to give back to God what is his as a steward of what he's given you. Uh, I want to welcome those online. Uh, give uh, Join Rod's welcome to you this morning. Uh, if you are new to South Hills Church, we'd love to get to know you, whether that's online or in person. There's a connection card in the back of the seats, or it's available online. We'd love for you just to fill that out and let us know a little bit more about you. It's also, if you have any questions, you can put that on there. You want to get connected in some way, shape, or form. The connection card is the best way to do that. Also, if you'd like to be baptized, we have a baptism service coming up in August, and you've never been baptized you're a follower of Jesus, but you've never followed the Lord in obedience in the waters of baptism, put that on the connection card or let one of us know. And we'd love to talk to you about what that means as you make a public declaration of your faith in Jesus and are immersed and come back out of the waters of baptism. It's a great celebration with you, with family and friends, and an act of obedience with God. Uh, also, before we jump into the message, uh, many of you know that In late May, we sent a team of eight uh, down to Lake Charles, Louisiana. Um, The want to just give you a brief update on that team. My wife Melanie and I had the privilege of leading that team. The Weather Channel has called Lake Charles the most weather-affected city in the country over the last year. They had two hurricanes in late summer, early fall last year. Uh, the big freeze that hit Houston in February hit them. And then the week before we arrived, there was a 100-year flood event in Lake Charles. And uh, man, it was just amazing to be able to go. Love God's sovereignty of our timing, getting there a week after that flood, but also heartbreaking. The first house we went to, um, so this is Darlene. The house on the right here is Darlene's mom's house. Whoops, go back. Uh, Darlene's mom's house, and this house is Darlene's brother's house. They were affected by the hurricanes. When we got to Darlene's mom's house, um, there was sheetrock on the inside because they were just got new sheetrock to re-sheetrock. They'd re-sheetrocked two rooms and then had 20 inches of water in the house and all this brand new sheetrock we had to rip out and take out to the curb and leave it at the curb. Darlene in the red there, um, she was a friend of somebody at the church and when we got there Monday she said, we didn't think you would come because we're Catholic. 
And what a great opportunity just to share the love of Jesus with her. And uh, we wrapped around each of the people's house that we worked on. And we prayed over them. The one day when we were praying for Darlene and her family. By the way, her brother is terminal cancer. And we cleaned out his house on Wednesday. He would love to be able to get home and die in his home. We don't know if that's going to work out or not. But we did our part to make sure that that could happen. We wrapped around Darlene and prayed for her. And uh, she prayed at the end, uh, which is highly unusual. One of our team members uh, from a Catholic background, and she, that's one of the challenges she's had is praying out loud, praying with people. And Darlene prayed. And then we went back on Friday because it helped with one more thing, and we went running up. She'd had some conflict with her sister. She came running up to our team and said, God does answer prayer. Hallelujah. And we said, yes, he does. And uh, what a great opportunity to have a ministry. The, another family we helped, um, they had all their belongings after the hurricane. They went through all their belongings, put them in the carport, up on pallets, sorting through what was, they could keep and what they couldn't. And then, again, the floodwaters hit. And we spent the day going through all of their stuff. I mean, heart-wrenching. This is the pile of things that we live, had to take to the curb to throw away. Three times as much went to the curb as went back into the house. And uh, just, you know, being, again, being able to serve and minister to people. Uh, we had a great team. They worked their tails off. Matter of fact, they outworked our to-do list uh, that the church had given us. Uh, so that's a great testimony to our church and to the people that we sent. And, uh, and again, one of the other great things about being in Louisiana was taking part in Southern hospitality. It is real, by the way. And uh, we went to different people's homes most nights. We had one night in a, in a restaurant uh, where they all came out with us and just had a great time of fellowship. But man, we ate. Jed Morris said, I advertise mission chips incorrectly. I need to just put pictures of the food and uh, get people to sign up, maybe bid their way onto the team because uh, the food was so good and the hospitality was amazing. Uh, but the people are still hurting and we're looking to send another team down in late October. Uh, hopefully this team will get to help with some of the rebuilding, put sheetrock back up, maybe some laminate floors in. Uh, if you would be interested in going on that team, you can sign up. Uh, the signups are open. Also, we're looking to send a team to Kenya in early October. Uh, Carla Pasisi's been here. She gets home Tuesday, but uh, she has asked us if we'd be willing to send a team in October, and so we'd encourage you to look into that as well and to sign up. You can get to those Two signups, learn more about the trip either on our website under our local and global outreach or using this website right here, southhillschurch.gomethod.app and all the little doohickeys there on the end. Um, and you can learn more about those trips and sign up. But I uh, really want to encourage us to be the hands and feet of Jesus both in Kenya, Louisiana, and right here in the Tri-Cities where we live. And uh, so thank you for supporting and praying for the teams that go because, again, they represent you as South Hills Church. And uh, they represent the Savior, and God used this team in, uh, in Louisiana in some pretty significant and mighty ways. So thank you for your support for that. Uh, as we uh, get ready to jump into the message, let's just spend a moment uh, coming to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, today is the day we celebrate the birth of our nation. Lord, what a marvelous history! Founding fathers, men of faith, what's written into our Constitution, the freedoms that we have even to gather this morning and proclaim your name and worship you. And we fully recognize there are many places across this world that that is not possible today. And we thank you for that. And Lord, as we come to your word this morning, may we remember the preeminence of your word 
over even a declaration of independence or a constitution. May we remember the authority and the power that you have even greater than that of a government or a nation. And Lord, we invite your spirit into this place. We ask that your spirit would move here, that your spirit would move within me, that I would proclaim your word and not my own, that your spirit would move in each of our hearts and minds to show us those areas we need to bring into alignment with you and your kingdom and your purposes. So Lord, come in this place today. Revive us, touch us, and send us out to different people because we've spent time with you in your word, worshiping the God, the creator God, who is above it all. In Jesus' name, amen. We're continuing in our series with uh, conversations with Jesus. That's what we're spending the summer looking at is stories in the gospel of Jesus interacting with different people and the conversations that he had with them. And since today is Independence Day, July 4th, um, we felt like today might be a good day to look at the conversation Jesus had with a Roman military officer. You can find this story in both Matthew chapter 8 and Luke chapter 7, and we're going to walk through it a little bit as we go. But, you know, as we think about this, you know, I don't know about you, I've been in situations before where, you know, you're talking with somebody, maybe you're on the phone with customer service, or you're at the counter uh, talking with somebody, and you're just not getting the answer that you want, right? Right. And you're talking to this person, and you're starting to realize this person has no authority, They can't help me with my problem because they've been given this scope of authority and what I need to have happen happens in this scope of authority. So what do we say? Give me your supervisor. Can I talk to a manager? Is there somebody with more authority that I can talk to? I'd love to talk to the powers that be right now because we're trying to get this sorted and we want some answers and you got no authority and I want somebody who does. Ah, you ain't helping me. That's kind of what's going on here in our story today. Somebody, this Roman centurion, is looking for the right authority, which is odd because Roman centurions had a lot of authority. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open to to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to look at that passage. Um, Like I said, there's a similar telling of the story in Luke chapter 7. We'll refer to that a couple of times. But we're going to be in Romans, or Matthew chapter 8. And we're going to start with this story with looking at, first of all, the person. Who's involved in this story that we have? So Matthew, I keep saying Romans because it's a Roman centurion. So forgive me if I say Romans when I should be saying Matthew today. I get a little tongue-tied. So Matthew chapter 8 verse 5, we read about this person. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him. Who was this guy? A Roman centurion. That means he was over a hundred people. Hundred men under his authority. He commanded them where to go and what to do. He was a man who was distinguished. He'd obviously proven himself on the battlefield. He'd proven himself in his authority and his command in smaller places, and now he was elevated into a higher place. Likely, uh, he oversaw an auxiliary garrison under uh, Herod in Galilee there. His soldiers 
probably weren't Roman. They were likely conscripted either from the Jewish people there or from Gentiles outside of Galilee. But he had authority over these people. Interestingly, centurions are mentioned at least seven times in the gospel in the book of Acts. And every time they're mentioned, they are mentioned as men of character and integrity. That's kind of fascinating, especially for who they represented, right? Rome wasn't necessarily known for its character and its integrity, right? And yet these centurions, that's what they were noted for, men of high character. He cared for his servant. The Luke passage identifies that he cared for the Jewish people. But he was also, we can't forget, a battle-tested veteran. A man of authority, a man of power, and a man of war. And he's got a problem. He's got a servant that's sick. We don't know exactly what the servant was sick with, but he, as a result of this, makes a petition. The passage goes on there in Matthew chapter 8. In verse 6, and we read what his petition is. Lord, so he's addressing Jesus. He's calling out to Jesus. My young servant lies in bed, paralyzed, and in terrible pain. He's got this servant who has an issue in terrible pain. He loves his servant, and he wants to get his servant some help. What's interesting is that as a, the centurion had this unusual attitude towards his servant. Because in Roman law, he had the ability to kill a servant for underperforming or for being sick. He could kill them with immunity. But he doesn't. He makes a plea for the health of his servant. Now, if you compare it to the Luke passage, some people say, well, this is one of those places where Scripture contradicts itself. Because in Matthew, it says, he makes a plea, Lord, come heal my servant. If you read the Luke passage, it says he sent some of the Jewish officials to Jesus. Because again, the Roman is a Gentile. Like, well, if I want to get this Jewish rabbi on side, maybe I'll send some Jewish officials who kind of like me and make, let them make the plea on my behalf. And so people say, well, the scripture contradicts itself, which is right. Well, I, it's something I believe we can reconcile because I don't know if you've heard, you, you watch in the news and they say, the president asked Congress to do X, Y, Z. Do you think the president actually went to Congress himself? Or did he send one of his aides or one of his representatives to Congress? He probably sent his aide or his representative to make the request, but it comes from the president himself. So they say, the president said. Matthew understood that the request to Jesus came from the centurion. The Jewish, the Jewish leaders were just his representative. It's important to understand the context. See, Matthew and Luke are presenting from two different perspectives. They're writing to two different audiences. Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience. And so he's trying to show the respectfulness and faith of this Gentile centurion. So to emphasize that, he's saying, here's the centurion coming to Jesus. 
Luke, on the other hand, is writing to a Gentile audience, and he's wanting people to know that the Jews respected this Gentile soldier, so he's inserting that extra detail saying, hey, look, here's these Jewish leaders who respected this guy going to Jesus on his behalf. Two different authors, two different focuses, so they bring out two different sets of details in the story. It's not that it contradicts. We can trust Scripture from cover to cover. And it's okay. I just want you to know it's okay to question, to look at these things and go, I'm not sure. I don't get it. It doesn't, I'm unsure what. We welcome questions here. We want you to bring your questions because we have the question answer, right, in Jesus. So whether, you know, here's the centurion and he's making this plea to Jesus. Now here's what I find interesting about the centurion coming to make this plea. The centurion had power and authority and resource at his disposal. From reading the Luke passage, we see that he actually has the resources of the Jewish people at his disposal. But because he's a Roman officer, he also has all of the Roman Empire and the Roman kingdom at his disposal. All of these resources, all of this power, all of this authority... But it wasn't enough. He had great allegiance to his country, but the authority and power his country afforded him was insufficient for his need. When we place our faith in systems and in structures, we often end up disappointed and in pain. But that's our tendency, isn't it? It's to put our faith in the thing we can see. I'm going to put my faith in the Constitution. I'm going to put my faith in this great country we live in. I'm going to put my faith in government officials. I'm going to put my faith in the medical system. I'm going to put my faith in the education system. I'm going to put my faith in the church. But all of these are just systems and structures. They have limited authority, limited power. And what authority and power they do have was granted to them by God. The Roman centurion makes a petition because as much power, authority, and resource he had, it was insufficient for his need. So he makes his petition Because he recognizes his position. He understood that he was a man under authority himself. So he recognized when someone else was under authority. Read with me from Matthew chapter 8 verses 7 to 9. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. He hears the centurion's request, his petition, his plea. And he says, okay, I'm on it. I'll come. But the centurion replies, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. I'm not worthy. We can just stop there, right? What a good position for each and every one of us to be in, to recognize. No matter what our resource, what our power, what our authority, whatever we have, when it comes to Jesus, we're not worthy. Doesn't matter how many good things we've done, we're not worthy. 
We don't measure up. He understood that. I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. Why? Because I am under authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, then they do it. The centurion understood what it meant to be under authority. See, his authority came to him from the emperor himself and from the empire of Rome. So when he gave an order to one of his soldiers underneath him and the soldier disobeyed it, in the eyes of the Roman government, it was as if the soldier disobeyed the emperor himself because the emperor bestowed the authority on the centurion. The centurion understood what authority looked like. A few years ago, just a couple, I was in Bible college, younger day. And when I was in Bible college, for two years, I served as a resident assistant, an RA, which basically meant I served as dad for a wing of guys uh, living in the dorm. One of the responsibilities for the, the RAs at a small Christian Bible college is uh, once or twice a week, we had to sit at the desk after hours. So like after dinner from like, I don't know, 6 or 6.30 until lights out time or people were supposed to be in their dorms time at 10.30 or 11, we sat at this desk, we fielded phone calls, and we were the authority on campus. Pretty scary to have a 20-year-old young buck like me in charge. But we'd been given the authority by those above us. The dean of men, dean of women, entrusted us with the authority. They were given that authority by the president of the college. So they entrusted us to have authority of what happened on campus after hours. And I remember one night I was there and I got called down to the front gate. It was locked uh, like after nine o'clock. We locked the front gate and there was a car that had pulled up and some guys in it and they were pretty rowdy, drunk. And they were upset because they said, a car of girls had done something whatever. We had to let them in or we had to send the girls out. But see, I didn't have to do that because I was entrusted with authority from the college to look after the students and to deal with issues that came up. And I could convey that. I said, you know, I hear you. And I will take care of it. I will address this issue with what you're talking about. Because the college entrusted me with that authority in the, at their absence. The Roman centurion was entrusted with authority. And he recognized that there was a greater authority than himself. Not just the emperor, but in Jesus. And he understood that Jesus' power and authority came from God the Father. See, when we put our faith in systems, it leads to pain or heartache or disappointment. But when we put our faith in the Savior, it leads to peace. So here's what I want you to remember this morning. I want you to remember that properly placed faith produces peace. Properly placed faith produces peace. When I don't place my faith properly, 
and I place it in the wrong person, the wrong system, the wrong structure, I have turmoil. When I place it in the Savior, I have peace. Jesus had ultimate power and authority. He received that power and authority from God the Father. And it is worth noting that only those who are under authority have the right to exercise authority. So, if we want to see the power of God active in our lives, we need to put ourselves under his authority. Because if we put ourselves under his authority, then he gives us his power. But if I try and get outside of his authority and do things on my own, yeah, I'm not going to have his power or his peace. Properly placed faith provides peace. This Roman centurion understood that he didn't have what he needed. His government, his systems, his structures wouldn't provide what he needed. So he needed to go to the proper authority, the highest authority. There is no higher authority than Jesus Christ. And he went to that authority to get an answer to his problem and to get peace. And if you're struggling in your life today, if there's things that aren't going right, if you've got, aren't going right, you've got questions, you've got confusion, don't look on the systems and structures of this earth because your job isn't going to answer it. The government isn't going to take care of it for you. Getting more education isn't going to sort it out. Getting the right hospital isn't even going to sort it out. Even coming to church isn't going to be the answer. You have to place your faith in the creator of the universe and in the ultimate authority of Jesus Christ, and then you will have peace. So he makes his request, understanding his position, and Jesus, in response, makes an amazing proclamation. And remember, the Roman centurion was a Gentile. Jesus initially came to the Jews as the Jewish Messiah. And in verse 10 to 12, we read Jesus' response to what he's just witnessed. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Now remember, this is Jesus. He spoke the universe into being. Talk about amazing. That was him. And in this situation, he was amazed. Some translations say he marveled. Can you imagine Jesus marveling? I just struggle with that idea, right? You got the creator of the universe marveling at somebody here on earth. That's like should be the other way around. Jesus heard this. He was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And I tell you this, many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, kingdom was prepared for them, what's going to happen to them? They're going to be left out. Thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Only twice in the Gospels does it say that Jesus marveled or was amazed. 
Here, at the faith of this Gentile, this Roman centurion, and in Mark chapter 6, verse 6, at the great unbelief of the Jews. And as I ponder that, I have to ask, would Jesus marvel more at my faith or my unbelief? And I got to think through that. I got to evaluate that in my own life. And note this contrast between these Gentiles from all over the world who have properly placed faith and the Jewish people. And I wonder, I wonder if we could make the same contrast today. Many from the Middle East will come, but from those from the West will be cast out. Many Chinese will come, but many Americans will be thrown into outer darkness. Why? Because they've properly placed their faith in the saving power of Jesus Christ. Even in these places where there's so much darkness and so much persecution against the faith, their faith is deep, and we live in a place of luxury, a place of freedom, and we frittled it away and placed our faith in everything but Jesus. Properly placed faith provides peace. We put all our faith in something else. Power, prestige, money, healthcare, government, church, education. But Jesus is looking for faith like the centurion. Placed in him and his power and authority. I just finished reading a book that I'd highly recommend by Larry Osborne called Thriving in Babylon. Uh, basically, it looks at the life of Daniel and looks at how Daniel thrived in the midst of a pagan, anti-God culture of Babylon where he was taken captive under an evil ruler named Nebuchadnezzar. And he's walking it through he made a couple of very powerful points. I love it when I'm reading something over here that God uses. I read that chapter, this chapter this week on like Wednesday, and I called Mel and I said, man, I can't believe it. I just read this book and it's like perfect for my message on Sunday. So he writes in this book, he says, Jesus never told us to create a Christian nation, impose our standards on non-believers, or preserve a particular culture. He told us to win the lost. He told us to win the lost. Larry Osborne goes on and he says, we forget the awful cesspool that the New Testament church was birthed in. The Roman Empire, of which our centurion was a part of, knew nothing of political freedoms. There were no family values. Sexual perversion was the norm. Life was cheap. Justice was out of reach for all except the rich and powerful. Sound familiar? And even though Rome tolerated most foreign religions, it didn't tolerate Christians. The early church suffered fierce persecution. All but one of the apostles died a martyr's death. Yet, the focus of the New Testament is entirely upon changing hearts, not changing governments or cultures. Did you catch that? Jesus didn't come to change the government. Paul and the apostles didn't go out to change the government. They went out to change hearts. 
And as we change hearts, governments will be changed. But it starts here. See, non-Christians, the author writes, are not the enemy. They're victims of the enemy. Victims need to be rescued, not wiped out. Non-Christians in positions of power and authority in our country are not the enemy. And I've heard too many Christians treat them like they're the enemy. They're evil, they're terrible, they're horrible. Some of what I've heard by Christians about government officials makes my heart sad. They're not the enemy, my friends. They're victims of our enemy. And they need to be rescued, not obliterated. Pray for those in power and authority over us. I'm not telling you not to speak into government. In the last year, I've written my government officials more than I have in the previous 50 years of my life. I vote. But I am fully aware of the fact that my greatest impact is not changing Olympia or Washington, D.C. My greatest impact is by how I live in my neighborhood. Here's what I love this morning. Neighborhood that I just moved into, we just moved into as a family. Christmas Carol Lane. One of our elders is not here this morning. Because he's in our neighborhood, because on July 4th, they do a pancake breakfast at 9 o'clock. At 11 o'clock, they raise the flag. They say the Pledge of Allegiance. They do a parade through the neighborhood. And he is there, not here, because he wants to influence his neighbors for Jesus Christ. I should be there, but I'm here. (laughs) Go figure. As we influence our neighbors in our workplace and our families, and we change hearts one at a time, it's going to trickle up. We hear about trickle down all the time. Trickle down is not going to work. Trickle up, I believe it will. Properly placed faith provides peace. What are we putting our faith in. Because when we put our faith in the right place, then we begin to witness the power. See, properly placed faith doesn't just yield peace. Properly placed faith produces power as well. Verse 13, Jesus said to the Roman officer, go back home. Because you believed, it has happened. And the young servant was healed, not when the officer got home, not a week later, that very hour. Because Jesus has the power. Not had, has. It's a present, it's an ongoing. Jesus has the power. We're in Louisiana. Um, We had more than one God moment. We, you know, we went and we thought we were going to go do one certain thing. And uh, while we were there, uh, God saw fit to have us do some other things as well. And we had two rental vans we were driving around. And we were on the, going our way to the job site one morning. And we come off the freeway at this intersection. Uh, I'm in the front car. Roger's driving the car behind me. I pull up. And uh, Melanie says, I just saw an accident. And right in front of us, this truck ran the signal 
and hit this car and sent it into the, uh, that's the controller for the traffic signal and airbags went off and people were hurt and damaged and we're sitting there and I love it. People in my car, what do we do? Throw the car in park, hop out. God's put us here for a reason. We jump into action and the signals are out and it's traffic time in the morning and so well, the ladies went over to this car and were helping the victim and, and Jed went over to this car and was looking at that guy and making sure he's okay and I'm hopping out and I start directing traffic. Yeah. <laughs> but here's the deal. I had no power or authority in that situation. I didn't. Somebody, I'm telling them to stop and they just keep going. Nothing I can do. Have a nice day. But while I'm standing there, a sheriff pulls up. He wasn't responding to the call. He just happened to be driving through the intersection at that point in time. He hops out, puts on his vest. Now someone with power is in place. Matter of fact, I saw one of the motorcycle cops pull up, and somebody was doing, you know, going through the intersection, and he's like yelling at him, What are you doing? Stop! Aren't you paying attention? He had authority power to respond to the situation. I didn't. I was waiting for the people with the authority to show up, with the power. Jesus is the power. He wants to show up in your life. Here's one of the cool God moments in that. The sheriff who pulled up first, Deputy Darrell. I walk up to him, ask him how his morning's going. It's actually, I was on the way to the hospital to watch my mom die. Wow. Can I pray with you? I would love that. Right there in the intersection, in the middle of a traffic accident, I'm praying with Deputy Darrell and his, for his, him and his mom. That's where the power came in, right? I didn't have power in the situation, but I had power in the situation. It was given to me by the ruler of the universe. Jesus had the power and you notice what, what the power came from? It wasn't his presence. It was his words. He said the word, and a servant was healed. His words carry power. And the ultimate power that Jesus has is that he gave his very life on the cross and came back to life to forgive your sins and to give you peace and hope and power no matter what's going on in your life because he is the way maker and the promise keeper. And that's the power that you need to incorporate into your life first and foremost. If you've never trusted Jesus as your savior, if you've been trusting systems and structures and everything else in this life to provide peace to you and you're still lacking it, my hope and prayer this morning is that you'll come to Jesus then you'll ask him to come into your life, that you'll place your faith in him for the very first time and say, I want to put my faith in you. I need your peace and I need your power in my life. And I guarantee you, if you do that this morning, he will come into your life. And he'll give you a peace that the world doesn't understand and a hope and a power. And if you're a Christ follower this morning, I want you to know that the same power that Jesus used when he spoke and that centurion's servant was healed. 
He gives you that same power today. I know you may not believe that. I'm tempted not to believe that. But Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, you got to catch this verse. John chapter 14, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. Do you believe in Jesus this morning? Yeah. Then you're going to do the same works Jesus did. Do you believe it? Yeah. Ooh, I hope so. But not only that, even greater works than these. Jesus himself said he's going to give you the power to do the works that he did and greater works than he did because he's going to be with the Father. Ask Ask him whatever you want in his name and according to his will and he will do it. Why? Not to make you famous, but to make him famous. Not to give you glory, but to give him glory. Not to establish your kingdom, but to establish his kingdom. Not to make our nation great, but to make his name great. That's why he came. To give you power and peace. We said it earlier, only those under authority have the right to exercise authority. So if you want to see the power of God at work in your life, you need to place yourself under the authority of God. And then he will give you peace. He will give you power. He will use you for his kingdom purposes. The centurion, he understood it. The systems, the structures, the processes, the power, the authority he had was nothing. It didn't satisfy his need. Only Jesus would. His power and his authority. So I have some questions for you this morning as we wrap up. Have you submitted to Jesus' power to forgive your sin and give you new life? If you haven't, we would love to pray with you this morning. A little later on, If you're online, you can just click the button. I'd like to pray. I'd like to receive Christ. Somebody will pray with you. A little later on, we're going to have people back in that corner, and I'll be up here in this corner. And I'd love to pray with you. Show you how you can have God's peace and power in your life. The second question is, what are you placing your faith in? What are you placing your faith in? Is it in this great nation we're a part of? If you are, it's to be left sad because I've looked at the end time story and I don't see the U.S. as a player at all quite frankly I'm just letting you know putting your faith in this church you're putting your faith in the next pastor to come Pastor Scott all these are human and they're going to leave you disappointed what are you placing your faith in properly placed faith produces peace And as we saw in this passage, it's God's word that gives both peace and power. So how are you making God's word a priority in your life? You say it, I want God's peace, but I'm not going to spend time with him and in his word. Well, you're going to be lacking. If there's questions or problems or struggles in your life, I challenge you, go to God's word. Find the truth that responds to that problem, that question, that lie. Find the truth because it's God's word that gives peace 
and power. We're going to continue to worship here in just a minute with, with Rod. Love you, brother. And we're going to be singing about God reigning above it all. What an appropriate song to finish this message with. God reigns above it all. All the turmoil, all the confusion, all the disagreement. Man, if we can lay that aside and respond in love, we don't have to be right. We need to be loving. We need to be grace-filled. We'll change this country trickling up. Because Jesus came to change lives. Heavenly Father, thank you for the power and the authority that you have. Unlimited. Almighty, all-powerful, nothing is above you. You are above it all. And God, we declare this morning individually and corporately as a church that we place our faith in you and you alone. Not in this place, not in this government, not in this country, not in the healthcare system, the education system. We place it in you. Lord, help us to put ourselves underneath your authority so that your peace and your power will flow in us and through us to a world that is so hungry for peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Won't you stand and sing with us?